Uh, good morning, Peace Church. Good morning to you. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Peace. So I'm excited to be with you this morning. I, I've been taking some of the summer off um, from preaching. It's been exciting to hear, for me at least, to hear some of our other pastors from our preaching team preach through this series, Organic Disciples, as we've been walking through what the Bible says about living for Jesus naturally, what it means to be an organic disciple. We've been looking at different topics of what that means. And today, today we're talking about money. So, of course, we bring the lead pastor out of his break to talk about money. (laughs) Today, we are talking about joyful generosity. So let me start by saying this. Today is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen? Amen and amen. I think it goes without saying that the most popular and beloved hymn of all time is Amazing Grace. Written in the late 1700s by a man named John Newton. Now, John Newton, you need to know his background. John Newton was the captain of slave trade ships. He would actually captain ships that would sail across the sea and capture and kidnap people from Africa. And he would sail them back to the States where they would sell them like cattle impossibly evil acts. During the slave trade, in the, when our country was being founded in the 1600s, it was 12 and a half million people were brought from Africa to America. 10 million of them actually made the trip. Unbelievably, horrendously evil things. And John Newton was a captain of one of these ships. Now what happened was, John Newton heard the gospel, and he came to believe the gospel, and it changed his life. John Newton became a Christian when he heard the good news that he was saved by grace, because he knew there was nothing he could do in and of himself to undo the evil that he had done. There was nothing in himself that he could do to pay for what he had done to other people. His only chance of salvation was through the grace of God. And when he heard the gospel that Jesus Christ on the cross paid for our sins and that by his resurrection from the grave, we can have salvation and we call that grace, well, that changed John Newton's life. And upon hearing that, he then penned these words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. See, God's grace is an expression of God's goodness towards us, and specifically, his generosity. And and, and the most famous Bible verse we see this combination of God's grace and God's generosity. John three sixteen. You guys know this probably. For God so loved the world that he gave. he gave. He gave his one and only son. We have a generous God. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We have salvation because we have a gracious and a generous God, a God who didn't just give some, 
A God who didn't just give partial, a God who didn't just give 10%, but a God who gave it all. And the Bible teaches us about this grace, that there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. It is only and wholly from God. And one of the best teachings, I think, is on this idea of grace in the New Testament comes from this section that's oddly enough speaking about financial generosity. That as we look at our call to be financially generous in our lives, this is an expression of the spiritual grace that we have. And so today, we're going to be looking at what it means for followers of Christ to have joyful generosity, to be joyfully generous in our lives. So would you please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 15. Deacons are walking around. If you need a Bible, um, raise your hand. We'll get you one. But I want you guys opening up God's word, seeing what I'm seeing. This isn't just some money-grabbing preacher. This is a call from God. 2 Corinthians, as you turn in there, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. That's why we call it Corinthians. If you're using the Bibles that we've provided, that's found on page 1230. As we look at this amazing passage about grace and how grace leads to joyful generosity. So with that, would you hear the word of the Lord? As I read it to you, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. Hear the word of the Lord. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything— in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich." And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable, according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is God's word. Let's pray, prepare our hearts, and let's continue. Please pray with me. Father God in heaven, you are a generous, loving, good Father to us. Your word says that you so love the world that you gave. You gave your Son so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Father, you gave your Son who gave it 
all. Help us here and now by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit to have the mind and the heart of Christ that we might know you more deeply, your word more fully, so that we might live for you more faithfully. For your glory and for the joy of the church and for the good of our neighbor, we pray these things. Amen and amen. So as we walk through our passage today, we're going to pull out three things that I think the Bible says to us about being joyfully generous people. And this first one here, I think, is one of the harder ones. So here's, here's point one for you here this morning. Joyful generosity means not having is not an excuse for not giving. Joyful generosity means not having is not an excuse for not giving because generosity is not about what you have, but about your heart. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, and as he does, he's referencing another set of Christians, the Macedonians. And I don't want these just to be, become like obscure names and places for you. I want to show you that we're talking about real people from a real time in history. So Paul wrote to the Corinthians here in Greece, in Corinth, a church that he helped start, and he's referencing the churches up here in Macedonia. So he's talking to this church about what's going on up there with those churches. And look what he says. Go back to verse 1 and 2. He says, We want you to know, brothers and sisters in Corinth, we want you to know about the grace of God that's been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now I want you to look at something here. Paul is clearly referring to everybody's favorite topic of money. But he's trying to get us to see past the dollar sign to, to show us what money signifies in our lives spiritually. You see, the Macedonians, they didn't give because they had a lot to give. The Macedonians gave because they knew the grace of God that's been given to them. And because they understood this, they could not help but give. Nobody had to tell the Macedonians to be generous because the gospel and God's grace had so captured their heart, it was a natural overflow of their lives. Unlike the Corinthians, who Paul has to coach on being generous. We all have different forms of discipleship that we need. The Macedonians didn't, didn't have to be told. They just gave the Corinthians needed coaching. That's okay. But the Macedonians gave because God had given them grace and this was a natural overflow for them. They couldn't help but give. Look at here. Even when things were terrible for them. Look at this. The Macedonian Christians, they were being violently persecuted. They were in extreme poverty and yet they were setting the standard for financial giving. What is going on here? They were being persecuted and they were poor and yet they were the ones setting the standard for financial giving. Not according to what they had because what they gave didn't make sense for what they had. They were that generous. Verse 3, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. No one told them to do this. Peace Church. When the future looks back on us, there's some things I want the future to say about us. I want the future to say that we are more like the Macedonian church and, and less like the Corinthian church. When the future looks back on us during our time, here's what I want the future to say. Peace Church was in a world that was becoming increasingly intolerant of Christian morals 
Peace Church was in a time where they were experiencing crazy high record inflation. And yet, they believed the gospel was worth spreading. And so they gave in crazy ways to see that happen. Ways that seemed to be beyond their means. That's what I want them to say about us. Because that's what I think what Christ calls us to. For the Bible, generosity isn't about what you have. It's about your heart. So I'm going to stop right here for a moment. Because the Bible here in this passage, I don't know if you noticed it, but the Bible dismantles an argument that I often hear against giving. I've heard some people say over my time as a pastor things like this. Well, I don't give my money. I give my time instead. Or I've heard some people defend other people by saying, yes, that person doesn't give any money, but they sure do a lot for other people. And the Bible really pushes back against this. Because the Bible says that for Christians, we are to be generous in every way. Not just one way, so we can get out of being generous in another way. Look what Scripture says in verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in love, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul is saying, yes, you are to be generous in every way. Be generous in your faith. Be generous in the kind words that you say to others. Be generous in your service. Be generous in love. But also, be generous in your financial giving. We don't get to choose to be generous in one way, so we don't have to be in another way. The call of Christians is to be faithful and generous in every way, in every aspect, in every nook and cranny of our lives. Because joyful generosity is not about what you have, it's about your hearts. We'll know that the gospel has taken root in our entire heart when it's evident in our entire life, including our bank account. Which leads to number two. Joyful generosity is an expression of the gospel because it points to our God who gave it all. So we were talking about hymns earlier. Tell me if you know, tell me if you know this hymn. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Now, who loves that song? Yeah, let's see if you love it after we're done talking about it. <laughs> Jesus paid it all. Amen. He paid it all. All of it. There is nothing you contribute to your salvation. You cannot do anything to earn your salvation. The only thing you contribute to your salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. You can do nothing to get salvation. Jesus paid it all. You don't contribute one red cent. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Tell you what, when you sing that song, do you think about your money? When you sing that song, all to him I owe, do you consider your retirement? Or you just like the fact that we're singing hymns? All to him I owe. Does that include your wallets? Because the truth is, church, yes, we do owe everything to Christ because he gave up 
everything. The gospel is the story of God who gave it all for the people that he loves. Go to verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, speaking about his time and glory in heaven, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, born as a baby boy in that manger on that Christmas morning. For your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now this is a verse that could easily get twisted here. So let's clarify something here. Paul is, pointing, is, Paul is clearly pointing to spiritual truths here. He is not saying that following Jesus makes us financially wealthy, but that as we look to Jesus, we look to the one who gave it all. He gave his entire life for us. I think a lot of us, a lot of us in here, we are working so that we will be financially set for life. But through Christ, we are spiritually set for life. Eternal life. Eternal life through a restored relationship with God as we have salvation by, by grace through faith. And this is all because of the life, death, and resurrection of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. And when we are joyfully generous, we are reflecting what the gospel is to the world. And I know this is a really hard message for people in Western world, in financially wealthy America, it's really hard for us to consider these things. And so let me lay down a huge challenge for you right now. Can people, can people look at your giving patterns and see a reflection of Jesus who gave it all? Or would they just see people pursuing the American dream? When people look at your giving patterns, would they be able to tell that you've been touched by the gospel? Or would they just see people like every other American keeping what's ours, pursuing the American dream? Are you trying to have it all? Or are you trying to be generous with it all? This leads to number three. Joyful generosity is essential to a healthy church because it takes us all to take care of us all. I don't care how big Peace Church ever gets, we are a family and that will never change. And here's what I can tell you about families, that we take care of each other. And generosity is one of the ways that we do that. Back in verse 4, Paul talks about how the Macedonians, they were desperate to give so that the church, so that their fellow Christians, what they call saints back then, they would be healthy and strong. That was their heart, that should be our heart. In verse 12, Paul says, For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. God tells us in scriptures that he desires mercy, not sacrifice. God wants to know that we have a changed heart that's evident in our lives. You can't give $1,000 if you don't have $1,000 to give. What makes the gift acceptable is not the amount that you give, but the amount of desire in your heart to give. And here's what I'll say to you. When we really have a heart changed by the gospel and we develop this desire to give, the amount will increase, not decrease. Going to verse 14, or 13 and 14. 
Paul says, I do not mean that others should be eased and you be burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. Now, what Paul's saying here and what Scripture is telling us is that a time may come when you are in need. And if you expect others to help you when you're in need, then we should be helping them now. That's only fair. So be generous now because there may be a time in your life when you need the generosity of others. Sometimes we give when we only have a little to give. Sometimes we give out of an abundance. But we are all to always give with joyfully generous hearts because that's what our Savior did for us. And so that's what we should do for each other. Joyful generosity is essential to a healthy church because it takes us all to take care of us all. And so I want to stop right now in the middle of this message and just have a heart-to-heart with, uh, with my church family for a moment, with Peace Church. We are not a perfect church. Do not claim that at all. But I will say that we are a, a mostly, largely a healthy and generous church. And because of this church's generosity and this church's faithfulness, not only did we meet budget last year, but on top of that, we also paid off our mortgage as a church. Yeah, that's awesome. In first service, I accidentally said we paid off my mortgage. <laughs> Whoops. So if you talk to anybody from first service, that's not what happens, okay? I'm still paying on my mortgage. Um, we paid off our mortgage as a church. The church is no longer in debt. We're free to do more ministry. Love it. Thankful for that. But there is so much more for this church to do. And the truth is, there are people here who do not give to God through the church. Or maybe they give just enough to where they could sleep at night, but it's by no means to the level of generous or sacrificial. And Anytime I preach on money, I always get emails the following week. So um, let's just go ahead and move into, move into some healthy tension right now. I'm going to get emails anyway, so I might as well just go full bore on this one. I know that there are people here who are supporting other causes, good causes that are Christian in nature, whether it's missions or adoption or Christian education. And hear me on this. These are all great things that I want to see supported, but not at the expense of the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And how could we not take care of her first? The church is where we are to give God our first fruits because this is the pattern that we see in Scripture, that giving to God always happens through the place of worship. In the Old Testament, it was the temple. In the New Testament, it's through the local church. And listen, this is not a sermon just about tithing. This is about us being generous everywhere in our lives. But if you want to know a little bit more about what we think about tithing, what the Bible teaches, we have a short little resource that you are free to grab on your way out on tithing. And so as we talk about this, I want to give you a few things to consider this week as we look at this call to be generous people in response to God's grace. Four things to consider. If you just grab one of these, I'll be really happy. But first one is this. Would you consider your faith? Am I generous as God calls or as I am comfortable? Peace Church, I hope that you know that I, as your lead pastor, 
I will never call you to do something that I'm not willing to set the example in myself. The reason that I plead with this church to consider adoption is because my wife and I, we know the joy of adoption because we have adopted. And I'm going to call you to give to the church first. And so I want to be very transparent with you for a few moments. Lead pastor to my church family. I am not doing this to boast or to flex, but because leaders lead, and I want you to know what your lead pastor does. So here's the pattern of giving that my wife and I have in our life. The very first 10% of what my wife and I make before Uncle Sam gets his cuts, the first 10% goes directly back to the general fund of this church. And let me explain why. This way, I'm sure that I'm not actually giving to my own favorite projects, which sometimes can feel like you're really just giving to yourself. This way, I'm, I'm sure I'm not giving to my favorite projects, but it but it's, it's truly a financial sacrifice to the Lord, knowing that the Bible tells us that the tithe belongs to the Lord. It's his. And as a side note, when my wife and I do give to other organizations, we would never give to an organization that we didn't trust when we give our money to their general fund. I would never give to an organization that I wouldn't trust to know how to better steward the money I give them than I would. Meaning we, we get those, those year-end catalogs too where you can like flip through and see, give to different things. And you, you can give a cow to this family or 10 chickens to this family or you can donate this. We, don't, we just don't do that. That's, that's great if you do. But my wife and I, we just think, you know what? If we're going to give to this organization, we're just going to give to their general funds, trusting that they know the better way to use that money. And that's one of our standards for, for us to be able to give to an organization that we won't give unless we trust that the money given to their general fund, that they'll know how to use that money better than us. And the same goes, I would hope, for our church. And so back to, back to our giving patterns here. After that first 10% that we give to Peace Church, we then continue to give to Peace Church. And that's when we tend to give to specific things like building projects or missionaries. I just think what God's doing at Peace is amazing. And I'm excited about it and I want to support it. But here's what often happens is that, you know, we'll have like a, a special call for a missionary or, or a special building project that we need to renovate a classroom or something like that. And then oftentimes, um, I know this because people tell me, they will divert their like tithe, they'll, they'll, they'll divert their first roots to peace to this specific project. And to be honest, that's a little bit like robbing Peter to pay Paul in a sense. Like when we ask for, for extra donations, we're, we're asking for something over and above what we think God's called us to do through our general budget. So my wife and I, our first 10% before Uncle Sam goes to the local church. On top of that, when special needs arise for the church, whether that's kids need funding for a mission trip or building project or a missionaries, then we'll continue to give on top of that. In addition, we also support two compassion children on a monthly basis. We also regularly give to the Pregnancy Resource Center because my wife and I are committed to the cause of life and supporting women who choose life. We do year-end gifts each year to help with global missions, poverty, and orphan care. And then there are countless times throughout the week and months where we respond to the chances God gives us to be generous. I report my giving to the executive leadership of this church at the end of every year, not because I'm asked, but as an act of leadership, I do so. Because I want my wife, because I want me and my family, I want me and my family to be like the Macedonian church, not like the Corinthian church. 
Nobody's going to tell us how to give. We're going to give because God's been so generous to us. My family wants to be faithful and generous because God's been faithful and generous to us. And here's what I can tell you. We could never outgive God. I'm not even talking about the grace of God, which alone we could never outgive God. But I'm just talking like every time it seems like we give, God gives it back tenfold. I don't explain I can't explain it. I can't promise it's going to happen to you. I'm just giving testimony in my own life. And here's the thing. You may be thinking, oh, that's because you're lead pastor. We did this when I was making $28,000 a year as a youth pastor. And God's continued to provide for us. God continues to provide for his people and we just want to be generous because God's been generous to us and we could never, and it's proven time again, we just cannot outgive God. So I want you to consider your faith. Are you generous as God calls or as you are comfortable? Second, consider the world. Would the world understand my generosity? Would the world understand my giving patterns? I'm about to shock you. I'm going to shock you right now, okay? So just, I'm going to brace, brace yourself, okay? My wife and my daughter share a cell phone. I know, it's crazy. My wife and I share a cell phone. Why? Because Scripture calls us to be generous. Scripture does not call us to have a cell phone. And as a family, we want to be different than the world. We want to be a family that puts first things first, even when it doesn't make sense to the world. At the end of the year, I don't want to have given more money to Verizon Wireless than I did to the cause of Christ. Many of you know that my wife does not have a job aside from raising our kids at home. And yet God takes care of us and we live within our means. And listen to me, I want to underscore again, I am not sharing any of this to boast or brag. I know there are probably women in here who wish they could not have to work. I'm not saying this to boast or brag. I'm saying this because I'm not going to call you to anything that I'm not willing to set the example in and I'm talking about generosity right now. We have ordered our life in a way so that my wife doesn't have to work and that means I drive a rust bucket of a truck that I don't mind turning a wrench on every other week to keep it running because that allows us to be generous. You have to look at your call and what God's done in your life and respond accordingly. When the world looks at my wife and I, I do not want the world to see one of its own. I want the world to see something different in us. Why? Because God's made a different in us. So please hear my heart. I'm not here to flex. We are, we are very much learning from other people on how to be more generous. There are people who are so incredibly generous in this church that I'm learning from. I wish I could spend the rest of the week just telling about all the stories of generosity that I know here. There's an elder of our church who keeps a crisp $50 bill in his wallet at all times, not for himself, never to spend on himself, but to be generous with the chance God provides. And he's given that away tons of times. I just want to help lead the charge in what joyful generosity and financial faithfulness looks like for our church. Not in the amount, because there's people who give more than we do, but in the, in the desire. As I, as a lead pastor, set the example for the flock that I'm called and graced to shepherd. Which leads to number three. Speaking of the church, would you consider the church? Does my giving say that I want my church to have a greater impact? 
That's what I want you to consider. Does my giving say that I want my church to have a greater impact? Let me say something I've said before. A fully funded church is not a church that meets budget. A fully funded church is a church where 100% of its people are given faithfully. That's a fully funded church. And so if you heard me say earlier that we met, that, that not only did we meet budget, but in, but in addition to that, we paid off our mortgage. If you heard that, and then you thought to yourself, well, it sure seems like the church is doing good. I guess I'll give elsewhere. If that was your response, let me share what you really just said, at least in part. You just said in your heart, I don't want my church to make any more of an impact than it is right now. You're actually saying, my church is making enough of an impact. And listen, I don't know about you, but there is so much more that I believe God wants Peace Church to be doing. And I'm telling you right now, the money that American Christians have, if they put that to good use, if they put that to gospel use, if they put first things first in their life, this country would not be in the same state that it's in. But Christians have fallen prey to not seeking the kingdom, but seeking the American dream. And this is what we get as a country. So it's time for us to rise up and change that. If you don't like things that are happening, then don't give money that support those things. The power we have financially as a church is unlike anything the world has ever known, unlike anything the church has ever known. We have the power to do amazing things as a church because A, we've got the Holy Spirit with us, but also we have more money than the world's ever known. The question is, is are we being faithful? Are we being generous? Do you want your church to have a greater impact than what it does? I most certainly do because I think there's so much more that God would have for Peace Church. And here is what would happen if everybody who called Peace Church home, if they gave their first fruits to God, here's what I think would happen. Number one, we would greatly increase our impact to our community and our culture. And secondly, as a church, I'd love to see us give even more to the work of God globally through our global missions. And so let me leave you with what I thought was a, an, an incredible challenge. Number four, consider the kingdom. What if everyone gave like I do? That's a question from our summer reading that we've been reading as a church together from page 198 in Organic Disciples. What if everyone gave like I do? If everyone gave like you did, here's some questions to ask. Would the church make a greater difference in the world or less of one? If everyone gave like you did, would Christians be known as generous people or selfish people? If everyone gave like you did, would the kingdom expand or would the kingdom be under-resourced? Church, we are called to be generous people because we are people saved by a generous God, saved by grace, the grace of a Savior who gave up everything for us. If you believe that, if you believe what Jesus has done for you, has it made a difference in your wallet? Has it made a dent in your wallet? How could we not be joyfully generous in response to a God who's so joyfully generous towards us? At Peace Church, we preach the gospel every single week. And I'm afraid that for some of us, we become numb to it. That we're no longer moved when we hear about what Christ has done for us. That when we talk about Christ living and dying on the cross on our behalf, 
and then rising again on the third day? I'm afraid some of us are just like, yep, that's, that's what we believe. Rather than every time hearing that being moved yet again. Every time hearing that being reminded, that's the only message that will heal this land. Do you still get moved by the gospel? Is the gospel still worth reflecting in this world? If it is, then do that through your generosity. Church, my fellow Christians, we are a people that deserve nothing. And yet we get God's unending love. We are a people who deserve the fire of hell. And yet we get God's amazing grace. Christ gave his life. How could we not also give? We have a generous God. How could we not also be generous to show the world that our generosity flows from this amazing grace? Amen. Would you please stand? As you stand, I want you to bow your heads and prepare your hearts for prayer and for worship. Bow your heads for just a moment. In your heart, pray this, Father in heaven, you are generous. You are the generous giver of all good gifts. And so, Lord, our prayer today is that anyone in here who does not know, if there's anyone in here who does not know the grace that we have through Jesus, Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. Today would be the day where they answer the call that you are placing on their life. And for those of us who know Christ and we know what he's done for us, Father, I pray that we would reflect this in the world. You've been so good and gracious and generous towards us. Father, I pray that we would reflect that in our lives. And Lord, so as we sing here and now, amazing grace, let that grace yet again change and continue to change our hearts to be generous like you. Father, we pray these things by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Church, let's sing amazing grace together.